welcome to Friday Friends Day, a podcast by the Mama Marketer. I am your host, Olivia, and today I'm here with my sister, Becca. You want to say hi? Hi. Uh, okay, so you have been on the show before, yes? Has it been one time or two times now? I think it's been at least twice. Okay, because we did Ryan Murphy. We did Ryan Murphy, and then we did the book to movie Yes, show. we talked about like Pretty Little Liars and... Well, uh, Big Little Lies. This, Big Little Lies, and what was the other one? Uh, the fi- Little Fires Everywhere. Yes. That's what it was. Okay, yeah, so this is going to be your third time on the show. And we just have a couple of things. Like, we have been wanting to plan a show, but we weren't sure on topic, and then... We just kind of decided we actually have a lot of smaller topics to talk about. So we definitely are going to talk in the Heights. That's one of the main things we want to talk about. But before we get to that, we're going to talk about some other like true crime things that we have like recently watched together. Um, my husband doesn't really like true crime and Becca does. So, um, so she's kind of my buddy as far as when it comes to watching true crime. Okay, so the first true crime topic we want to talk about is... Um, it called the, the there's a book and a movie by the same name called In Cold Blood. The book was written by Truman Capote, um, which is kind of all I knew about it. Becca recently re- had watched the movie in high school and read the book recently, and then we got together and watched a documentary that's based on it. The documentary is fairly new. It's from 2017. It's called Cold Blooded, and it's on Amazon, and it covers the crime. So, Becca, why don't you give us a little synopsis of the the crime that happens in the story? Yeah, so it's this family that lives in Kansas, and um, these two ex-cons basically go on this, like, um kind of they plan this murder because they think that this family they're called the the clutters they think that this family has a large sum of money because he's like a big time farmer and they plan this to break in and like steal his money but one of them has this like um no um no witnesses policy so they end up going into the clutters house and um like tying them up and they don't find the safe, so they end up killing all of them, essentially, for, like, a couple bucks and not very much else. And um, then they go on this, like, kind of crazy road trip. They go everywhere from, like, Kansas City, and they go to Mexico, and then they end up in Vegas, and they kind they of... get caught in Vegas, yeah, right? Okay. They kind of, like, think that they got off... Um, they think they got away with it. Yeah, they think they got away with it, but um, the uh, Kansas Bureau of Investigation kind of caught up with them and they ended up being arrested in Vegas because they were like using fraudulent checks um so that's how they were able to locate them um but how I kind of got involved in this is my um high school English teacher is obsessed with um Harper Lee and Harper Lee and Truman Capote were friends like best friends famously and Truman Capote read a newspaper article while he was living in New York about this Kansas murder and was basically so enthralled with this story of, like... He comes to Kansas. Yeah, he... he comes to... He is the first, like, internet sleuth before the internet. Like, he literally hears about a crime and is like, I want to go to there. Yeah. I want to go to the scene of the crime. Yeah, and so, like... But even more than that, like, he gets... Yeah, so he, like, gets involved and gets obsessed with this crime and him and Harper Lee come to Kansas and, like live in Kansas for like a year while he writes this book and she had just finished To Kill a Mockingbird and um and so they like are working on this book and he like gets to know the people involved and like gets to interview the people the two men who are now on de- like who were um hanged while they were in row. jail yeah and so and they say that he was romantically there's no, no no one is confirming it but there were there were then and there are now some people that say that he actually became like romantically involved with one of the killers yeah. like well, that's how yeah. deep his obsession went and then the the documentary was super interesting because it talked about the townspeople how like they were kind of confused when like here they had just lived through a small town they had just lived through this murder and this like famous pair of authors comes and hangs out and is working with the cops and is like helping them on this case even though he's not a detective and then he writes this book and the town was kind of like split a little bit between whether they thought the the book was good or bad for the town um so yeah I had heard about the murders and I had obviously heard about the book I knew the name Capote but I had no idea that the way he went about writing it was to like dive in 
and move to the town and get to know the murderers and yeah, crazy story. It's like so interesting when you like, and when you read the book, it's pretty cut and dry, just like what happened. He doesn't insert himself into the story, but when you read about how he got involved and how he was like friends with the KBI and the the men who were on death row and just like how he was immersed into the community is crazy and just like would not happen today because like the police don't talk to the press like that. Exactly. I would think the police would never talk to the press and I would think townspeople would not be so, I don't know, maybe it depends on the town, but I feel like if this were happening in a modern day small town, I feel like people would not talk to the outsider. Like Mm -hmm. some hot shot from New York comes and I just feel like people wouldn't talk, but they, as men at the time, they just kind of spilled their guts. Um, And I've not seen the movie. Like I said, Becca watched it in high school, but it's from the 60s. It's a pretty good movie from what I understand. Um, I should probably add that. Um, I've only seen the documentary series just because I was into the true crime. And we, we were talking a little bit about like what significance this case has to us today. And so I thought of two points on this. One, it literally happens to a family that lives in the middle of nowhere in Kansas, like just a farm family that someone had been to a party there one time and just assumed that they had money and that got word back to these murderers that thought they could pull this off. Like I definitely, you know, secured my house up a little bit (laughs) more, more securely than I did uh, before watching it. So there's that whole like true element to it and the fact that it was here in Kansas Um, And then the other thing is Becca was talking about how these guys were on death row and that's when Truman was able to go back and forth and and speak with these guys. I was doing research for for a post that I needed to make for the Libertarian Party of Kansas and I was researching how Kansas is a death penalty state technically still, but then everyone tells you like, oh yeah, we technically have it, but we haven't used it since like the 60s and it turns out the last time the death penalty was actually used in the state of Kansas was for these two guys who I don't even know their name but these these two guys who committed the clutter family murders they were the last two people to be uh killed via the death penalty in Kansas and so I think that is I think that's significant and I think it would be I think it would just um kind of be tone deaf if you didn't mention this in the obsession that our society has with true crime today like yeah he found this article he was so enthralled with it he went and this was kind of the first big like true crime like book I think and yes. a lot of people that are into true crime a lot of even the next documentary we're going to talk about I'll be gone in the dark like they talk about Truman Capote and in cold blood yes. and how it was really the first of its kind and kind of sparked this thing that's huge today Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely agree with that. Um, I felt like I was going to say one more part on that, but I think it might have escaped me a little bit. Um, Oh, so a thought that I just had while we were thinking here, like, imagine if they weren't, I need to do the math. If they were not killed via death penalty, do you think they would be two old men sitting alive today? I guess this was in the 60s. Well, they were in their like third 30s, 40s, so yeah, they, they could have been they could, like they could maybe. I mean, they would have been maybe life in jail if we did not have a death penalty. I guess depending on the, their health, there's a slight chance that they would still be sitting in a, a prison somewhere. And so mm-hmm. that's that's why I think we liked this case and why it just it is it's close to home for us. But okay, so that really brings us into another modern true crime story. So the next one I want to talk about is an HBO series called All Be Gone in the Dark. And I remember my husband telling me he had gotten like an ad or something for this show. And he was like, oh my gosh, you have to watch this because um, the whole show, it's I think seven parts, six or seven parts. And the whole show is based on this girl, Michelle McNamara, who was like one of the first true crime bloggers. And she's married to an actor, Patton Oswalt. And she um, basically becomes enthralled she, with, with the Golden State Killer. She actually coins the term Golden State Killer, um, who was a serial killer that ran rampant in California, like in the... It was in the 70s? 70s, 80s, yeah. Um, um, yeah, more 80s, I think. Yeah, and before he was known as the Golden State Killer, yeah. he was like multiple, he was like East Area Rapist, the original Night Stalker. Like, he had multiple names, names that were attributed to him because it wasn't put together yet that they were the, all the same person. So she kind of conglomerated all of those into. Yeah, uh, and it's really, it, 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 and she was, it's cool because she was given a book deal 
to write about the case and about being a true crime blogger and about this like army of people that kind of were helping her work on this case. It's kind of like the Cecil Hotel documentary where they had so many people, just hordes of people that were really taken with this case and she was kind of like the top tier of that. So she gets this book deal, um, but she is so obsessed with actually solving the case that she like can't finish the book until she solves it. And so it is crazy. Um, so yeah, I guess do we need like a, I guess we kind of explained. So this guy was kind of a modern day like Bundy, Night well, Stalker I mean, type. Like he had typical serial killer. He had little spurts of time where he was uh, doing these killings and they were in different neighborhoods and in different time frames. So that's why, you know, first he was the ransacker, the Vesalia ransacker. And then he kind of upgraded to the East Area rapist and then and then in another area, he had graduated to full-on murder, and that's when he was known as um, the original Night Stalker, I think. I think that's in the right order, but it wasn't until Michelle McNamara came along and put it all together and realized that this is actually the same person. Um, and what we thought was so interesting about her is that not only were the police in Sacramento willing to listen to her, at one point they gave her and her partner, like, boxes and boxes full of files yeah it was like it was such a cold case so they i guess weren't actively working on it i guess i don't know yeah yeah i know it so in the in the, the documentary they show her kind of stealing kind of kind of it was one asking. of those where the the main police officer she was working with was like if i were you i would take those boxes out this door at this time so no one saw yeah so it wasn't exactly stealing but she also was like we should take these before he changes yeah. his mind and becca and i were talking about how you just don't see that very often. Like the Cecil Hotel, Hotel documentary. The police were not really into the internet sleuths. They were not into that. They saw that as kind of almost like a, a, a thorn in their side, you know. But th these policemen were actually willing t to work with her and credit yeah. the eventual solving of the case to her work. And I got to be honest, I feel like if she was not married to a Hollywood actor, I don't know that she would have gotten the same attention. Yeah, when I was reading online about this documentary a lot of people were saying she had the notoriety of her husband mm -hmm. and that's why they weren't going to just ignore yeah. her and so and I'm like a lot of people were saying like that's how she had the time and the money to do this and I'm not saying that like we couldn't do that if we weren't married to a celebrity but I think the recognition is what yes. really got her in the in the real thick of it and yeah. the, getting the files and like getting in touch with the people she needed to get in touch yeah. with and so, okay, we're going to get into spoiler territory. So if you don't know anything about Michelle McNamara or about this documentary, still definitely watch it. But a big, um, I guess, catalyst in this story is the fact that before she finishes her book, before she sees, the t case does eventually get solved. And they do credit her work for solving it. But before it actually gets solved, Michelle dies of an overdose. She dies in her sleep. And... I gotta tell you, when I watched that, I so she is progressively getting deeper and deeper into this story. And anybody that is into true crime, like as much as the blood and gore doesn't scare us, there's certain cases, there's certain documentaries that we've tried to watch that we're like, nope, we can't. Like it's, if it's children, if it's like, you know, there's certain ones that we just can't watch. They just like really get under our skin. And so Michelle was talking about how she, you know, they have all of her voicemails and her text message and she's getting deeper and deeper in. And in my opinion, I think she was just getting into a really deep, dark depression and you're dealing with this content that is so dark. And so basically she, she, she said in one message that she was telling her husband like, oh, I'll take this pill to sleep and then I'll wake up in the morning. I'll take this pill to be able to write. And, you know, she's telling people that she's getting to a point where she just like can't stop her head from going, but she also can't make thoughts enough to finish the book and her husband is like oh just push through just push through you'll get there and I don't know it really it bothered me that no one and they didn't even talk about it they didn't talk about this at all they just mentioned that she had an overdose they mentioned the different types of drugs that she was taking I mean she was taking Xanax Valium I mean all of these drugs that are not supposed to be taken together and I found myself super distracted from the crime and from the book because I was just like how did she get these first of all they I mean obviously someone was supplying them or she was buying them off the street or something. And then two, I can't believe that no one in her family or a doctor, I guess if she's buying them off the street, she wouldn't go talk to her doctor about it. But I just thought it was sad that no one was paying enough attention to her. And even one of the, one of the other crime reporters, crime sleuths that she worked with 
says in the end there was a whole side of her he didn't know like he had no idea she was the type that would that was abusing and would take it so far as to accidentally kill herself and so I don't know I found myself very distracted <laughs> by that whole thing um yeah and I remember and I, I guess her death was very very I I guess I knew that like I knew going in that as she, soon as she was introduced as Patton Oswalt's wife I knew that she OD. Well, I didn't know how she died. I okay, knew she, see, she I died didn't either. Because he has like famously like talked about grief and all of that. Yeah, I thought she got interviews. sick. Like I thought it was like a cancer. Like, yeah, yeah. And I don't. So I didn't know how she died. And at first they didn't either. So it talks about how they discovered that it was an overdose and stuff because she just died in her sleep. But uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of the documentary is about Michelle and Patton and their relationship and their life and Michelle's death. A lot of that is, and yeah. I think it. It, it kind of, like, a lot at the end, we were, like, we yeah. kind of wish we had more about the case itself and yeah. the, the, like, court hearings and stuff. There wasn't a lot to that. And, like, there was a lot of survivor, I guess, not a lot, not a lot individual survivors, but a lot of the survivors that talked, talked for a long time mm-hmm. about yeah. stuff. And I, I, and I liked hearing that aspect, but, again, it was, like, I, did, I guess I didn't really know that it wasn't going to talk about the case. Yeah, they made it seem like... This, that we were going to go on a journey of actually solving this case and seeing the trial and seeing the guy put behind bars. And we did see that, but I just felt like they focused a little bit more, a little bit less on the case and more on, which is good. I'm, I'm glad that survivors are getting their stories out there, but it was almost a little distracting for me being so into true crime. Okay, so tell everyone, like I said, we're already in spoiler te- territory. Tell everyone how the guy got caught. Yeah, so they were... They basically were like, hey, we have all of these. They had his DNA from, from all from kinds of different all crime, the scenes. crime scenes. Um, and so they were kind of jokingly talking about sending it to like 23andMe or whatever. And I guess there's like a, a specific DNA thing for, like there's a database for crimes or something that you can submit that can match the DNA. So that's how they kind of put it together that the East Area Rapist and the Original yeah, it wasn't soccer. even a crime. It yeah. was what it was. So they joked that they should just submit his DNA to 23andMe because they had so much of it. But 23andMe specifically wanted like a spit swab. Yeah. And the type of DNA they had was slightly different. And so they 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 joked about that. And then a few years later, a new website came out that would take yeah. different types of DNA. And so they just on a whim like submitted his DNA in there. And then just randomly were able to make a connection to like a like a cousin or something, a niece like, or a nephew well, or something like, of at his. At first they had like a third cousin, and then they kind of had to narrow it in. Yeah. And then how they they when they had a suspect that they were like we right think that this is him, they like stole from his trash and got his DNA, and yeah. so they matched it. But so yeah, the DNA before they knew who it was was originally how they matched that the serial rapist and the original yes. soccer and the vice alien ran soccer were the same person. And then when they had that DNA, then they were able to match it to, I think his name was Joe D'Angelo. Yeah, and, and his name was on a short list of people that Michelle and her crew had 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 pinpointed they didn't they didn't say it was him but they had a list of potentials and he was one of them and so so that's one of the reasons why I think they went after him but yeah they did they they did say that they had to basically ransack his specific DNA and then what did you think about how here were all these women who had been like just you know completely abused by him and then by the time they get their day in court he is this like old man and there was something about how in court he acted like he could barely walk he acted like he could barely speak into the microphone and then they I guess were filming his jail cell which I didn't know that they could do maybe it was like a holding cell but they're filming his jail cell and he's in there like climbing on top of shelves and like being very physically active for a man his age and so they basically were like no we're not we're not buying it like (laughs) Yeah, I did. But he was still an old man. Like, I gotta yeah. imagine that that would have been kind of, you know, I remember one girl being like, this? This is the guy that has terrorized yeah. half and, of California? This old person? And, uh, yeah, just a lot of it was talking about the DNA made this crime solvable and how, like, more and more people who, like, this guy would have maybe gotten away with it are not getting away with it anymore in their old age because we have 
some sort of evidence, some sort of way of processing evidence that we didn't have before. Yeah. One thing, so uh, they did cover the time frames where he stopped. Like there was a chunk of time in like the 80s, like a six, seven year period where there were no killings and they're able to track down a niece of his. And she actually says that those were the exact years that he was, she was living with him. And so you see that a lot when you start looking into serial killers. Like I know BTK famously like had a break in when he was killing because his kids were young. And so you see a lot of that. So they explained some of the gaps between his sprees, but they never talked about why he stopped in the end. Like yeah. they never went back and covered like his last one was in like 89 or something. And so they never talked about like kind of the catalyst. Was it, you know, his physical ability? We, they wouldn't really know. And that was one thing I was hoping we're, me and Becca are used to watching things. I'm used to watching things like Mind Hunter and like the Ted Bundy tapes, and you really get into the psyche of the person. And so I was hoping a little bit more for that. But other than covering the trial, and he got like life, like he multiple got, life sentences. I was going to say he got the maximum yeah. amount that he could in California. Yeah, and because Cal- California is not a death penalty state. So, um, so yeah, it was it was interesting. I definitely do still have some questions. And Becca and I both kind of conjectured that since he does have life in jail. I mean, the Menendez brothers just did a new interview that, that revamped their whole case. Like, we just wonder if, give it a couple of years, if he maybe wouldn't start talking. Well, a lot of things that I read online were saying because he got life in jail and not the death penalty. At the time, I didn't know what state it was in, so I didn't right. know. But he, like, he should have been, like, he should be giving interviews. Like, the police should be interviewing him for this yeah. stuff. And maybe it's because he is, like, an old man. He doesn't really care anymore. And he's not going to be, like, one of those types that wants to be famous. Yeah, and yeah. stuff. Like, he got away with it for so long. Well, and maybe he has seen what has happened yeah. in, the like, the Bundy cases and, and um, who's some other killers like I mean maybe he doesn't want to be maybe he doesn't want to become a character for yeah. the end of time which and which he shouldn't we shouldn't romanticize these people but I have a sneaking suspicion that like I don't know if the mind hunter unit is still at work but in my mind they're interviewing him as we speak because this trial was only last year like yeah, it was this like 2018 yeah 20. it was crazy no it was during oh, COVID oh, because yes, it was 2020 they had to rent they had to use like a gymnasium to allow everyone in there to give their testimonies, oh, yeah. and they had masks yeah. and stuff. So this, yeah. this is when I really like when t- when like TV shows are this up to date, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I have a feeling we will be hearing more from him. He's gonna have time on his hands, and there definitely were some unanswered questions that, that I had from from that. So yeah, go watch um, "I'll Be Gone in the Dark" on HBO. Um, Okay, so that's kind of the end of the true crime. Any last minute, any closing? No. Okay. Um, so the next thing that we want to talk about, the thing we're really excited to talk about, is we're going to talk about the movie In the Heights. Um, this is on HBO right now. It's only going to be on there through the 11th, so if you have not watched it, you got to make some time and watch it this weekend. Um, In the Heights was written by Lin-Manuel Miranda, and he actually wrote it before Hamilton. And he wrote it about growing up in Washington Heights in New York City. And it's just the story about several different second generation uh, immigrants and kind of what it's like when you're living living in that little pocket. So um, it's a musical and it's really good. Um, what are your initial thoughts on it? Or do you want me to go into my questions? Um, No, I was just going to say, it's from the same director. I don't remember his name. is Crazy Rich Asian. So if you like the styling of that movie, I think you're going to like it. Um, And the music is just amazing. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so speaking of music, I actually have... So the Broadway cast soundtrack is on Amazon Music. And so I want to play for you guys, like, my favorite favorite song from it. Um, It's a short little song that they sing like in the hair salon. It's like not even that long of a song, but I was telling my friends that it literally like sounds like when all of my aunts used to get together at like a get together like down in the valley like when they would all be speaking Spanish over each other like it literally transported me back there. So I'm going to play just like the first few seconds of it. Something I 
Okay, so that's one of my favorite songs. Um, it just, I feel like the whole thing was done so authentically, like with the music and the, we also laughed that in every scene where someone's eating, you can see a bottle of Tapatio, mm -hmm. which is like the superior hot sauce, if you ask any Hispanic. And so <laughs> I don't I, One of the funniest parts of it is, so the main character's name is Usnavi. Ooh, don't spoil it. Should we spoil it? Okay, no, go ahead. <laughs> okay, so if you haven't watched it, this is a mild spoiler. But his name is Usnavi, and it's because when his parents were coming to the United States, they saw a U.S. Navy ship, and <laughs> they named him after the ship that they saw. Yeah, one of the funniest parts. So, um, okay, so I saw Music Theater Wichita do this play. It was pre-2020, so it had to have been like two, maybe three years ago at this point. And it was so good. And I remember even when Wichita was doing it, they said, like, we're only going to do it if we can have an authentically cast cast to do this play. And it was so good. I mean, I think I cried at like three different times in it. And they do change the ending. Like in the movie, the main character is basically telling his daughter about their story, about when he had to decide. There's kind of a cliffhanger where he like really wants to get back to, is it uh, Puerto Rico or where does he trying to get back to? He's trying to get back to the Dominican Republic, but he does, you know, he is kind of torn because that's his home country, but he's tried to build a life here in New York. And so he's kind of back and forth. And so in the movie, he's telling it to his daughter. And so the ending kind of ends with a slightly different scene than the way uh, that when the, the play that I watched, the way that it ends was there's this, of course, big musical number and everyone's kind of coming out and it's like a street scene and there's like the fire escapes, you know, and everyone is coming out and slowly and hanging the flag of the country that they immigrated from. And by the song, time the song is over, there's just all these different flags and it was just such a good representation of how like not all brown people are the same we have come from different countries different islands the language is different the food is different and that's not something that everyone knows right that's not something that everyone i think recognizes and so it was just a really cool representation of that the movie ends kind of with his daughter kind of like they they decide to stay in washington heights he marries his female lead and he is just kind of enjoying a street uh, festival or a street uh, party um, within his daughter kind of gives the camera a smirk, which I did think was cool because so much of this is looking towards the next generation. Mm -hmm. Like their parents, our parents sacrificed. My sister and I are second generation Mexican-Americans. And so for us, it's, the, it's I, I, I don't know, that resonates with me because like my grandparents sacrificed for me and my sisters and my cousins. And so it was cool that they took that to the next generation of, of where this is all going. So, um, so yeah. So, okay, Becca, tell me your thoughts. Yeah. So I, I, I had never seen the musical, but I knew what it was about, and I had heard Olivia told me tell me about it when she saw it. But yeah, I I liked it, and I, and I um yeah I felt like it was a good um I I liked the music. It was a good story, um and the actors. Do you want to transition talking about the yeah um so one thing we thought before we get into the, like the politicalness of it, like we thought it was really cool. There's a big like oh i was gonna say there is a scene in the movie where they kind of have the flags yes but it's not as, as a big yeah, as, the, as, as the end maybe that yeah it's kind end. of like the second to last big number where it's uh i think it's called um fiesta in the barrio oh yeah oh barrio carnival de barrio um and they have a similar scene so it's definitely in there um and a friend of mine had given me a warning and said oh i heard they're gonna make this super political and i was worried that it was going to be overly political, but, um, you know, they just barely touched on DACA a little bit. It wasn't overpowering, little changes here and there, but it, it still is a, is a good story. I was worried that if they made it political, that it would not be as classic, would not mm -hmm. be as timeless, but I feel like it, this, I feel like this is going to stand yeah. up. Um, but yeah, we were, we were talking a little bit about how, like, like the guy who plays Usnavi, he just landed. It's Anthony Ramos. Anthony Ramos, which if you've seen Hamilton, you know you he's got a, he's a household name. If it's a house that follows musical theater, you know Anthony Ramos already. But he was just cast with a big role in a non-musical movie. What was it? Um, so he he's in one of the Godzilla movies. He is. He's in, and then he just got. I saw on like Rotten Tomatoes or something that he was just cast in the lead for another Transformers movie, which yeah. I didn't know they were still making them, but it's cool that he is going to be in them. 
Yeah, we were just talking about how, like, I guess there's kind of this unknown um, mindset where they think that stage actors would not translate to screen. Like, for instance, well, for instance, when Chicago was made into a movie, Zellweger and uh, um, Catherine Zeta-Jones, I mean, they are not stage actors. Now, there were stage actors that had those lead roles for years and years on Broadway, but when it came time to make a big screen movie, you know, it was like Richard Gere and these screen these screen actors. In the Heights is different because In the Heights actually had a lot of people from the Broadway and the traveling shows on there, and we were just talking about how... how if that stigma is still exists in Hollywood, we're not Hollywood execs, so we don't really know. But if that stigma still exists in Hollywood, I feel like we're seeing a we're about to see a big trend where these stage actors are proving their diversity. Yeah. Well, I've seen I I saw it a lot when La La Land came out, and I I love that movie. But <laughs> also like, it's Emma Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling, and I'm not saying they were bad in that movie, but also like they're not trained singers, and so. And that's like a diff- stylistically a different type of musical, but it also just like a lot of people were like, okay, if we're, I feel like there is kind of like a thing to want people to know, like to have celebrities that they're gonna know for name recognition, but also like I feel like more and more people, maybe this is like a Hamilton phenomenon, maybe it was happening before Hamilton, but that people are, I think more Broadway actors are becoming famous because this is happening more because right. they're getting cast in movies. And because we're making more movies into, uh, more musicals into movies. Yes. And that's one thing, speaking of Hamilton, that I did want to say. I had a friend whose family loved Hamilton and went to see In the Heights in the movie theaters. And they were like, oh, it wasn't as good. And you really cannot compare the two. Like, as much as a stage actor can be a great screen actor, you almost, I don't think it's fair to compare a stage. Because Hamilton was a filmed Broadway musical. Broadway play in In the Heights is a musical adaptation. Right. So yeah, I feel like I, at a certain point, yes, it's, you can compare the music and stuff. Because it's Lin-Manuel, yeah. but I don't think that you can compare the like production of yeah. it. Because they're totally, yeah. it's kind of like, okay, so the other day when we were hanging out with family, um, we were talking, they were talking about like New Girl versus like some of the comedies made for the streaming services like Schitt's Creek and they were talking they were trying to con- compare them and I was like hold on like I don't th- I almost don't think it's f- fair to compare something that was written for a prime time weekly spot versus something that they could sit down and write and shoot all at one time because mm-hmm. they knew it was going to be bingeable so we just got to make sure we're comparing apples to apples here yeah. you know <laughs> um I want, okay, before we talk on the last like kind of big topic about In the Heights, I want to point out, so I found myself going down a rabbit hole um, where I was looking into some of the actors that were in the original Broadway play because I listened to the Broadway cast soundtrack. And so I was really taken by this story about this girl, Karen Olivo. Um, so she plays the Broadway Vanessa. She was in the original like debut cast of Vanessa. After that, she was Anita in West Side Story. Um, and then she was one of the Schuler sisters Sorry. in, oh yeah, sorry, I read it Schuler, but Skyler. So she was a one of the Skyler sisters in the traveling version of Hamilton. And then she got cast as, uh, right before Corona, she got cast as the lead in Broadway Moulin Rouge. And so right away I was just like, whoa, that's an impressive, like just the roles that she landed alone is really impressive. Um, and she's a Latin American woman representing, and I thought that was really cool but then I stumbled across this um this like video I guess she did like an IGTV video or something um basically saying that when Moulin Rouge does open she is not going to go back and I guess they were having some issues with like a producer or a director and all anyone is saying is just that it was not a good working environment that it was a toxic working environment that he was borderline abusive on on the talent and she basically said yeah this is a huge opportunity for my career I could go right back to this this role and go right back to this income but all I can do as as an actress, all I can do to speak out against this type of prolific behavior is not be a part of it. So she just completely walked away from her role. And I don't know, I thought that was really cool. And so I just wanna like give shout out to her and support her in any way you can, you know, find her on social, go find that video, do a Google search. But I just thought that was really cool that she 
does have an impressive career, is representing and doing really well, but also kind of like, you know, I love like a Lady Gaga type that's going to use their platform to make social change. And I feel like, she, I feel like she's doing that. And so I think we're going to see, I think we're going to see more from her. I think like Anthony Ramos three years ago, Lin-Manuel famously tweeted, you're going to know this man's name. I think Karen Olivo is one that we're, we're going to know. Um, okay. So the last kind of topic we want to talk about with In the Heights is, I think it was literally like the next day or the next couple of days after it had been posted, we started seeing all these 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 news articles and these accusations saying that two two main complaints. One main complaint was that it's based on Lin Manuel's childhood neighborhood, Washington Heights, and I guess current day Washington Heights is mostly Afro Latina, Afro Latin. And so they were saying that there was not very much Afro representation in the show. I don't actually know. I mean, I'm not in New York where I can go and check those claims. So I, I can't really speak to that. But the only, the only thing I'll say about that is just that this was Lin-Manuel's experience when he was younger. And I don't think it's fair to discount what his experience was and what his story was that he was wanting to tell, right? Um, what do you think about just that piece of it? Yeah, I mean, I think that it uh, there's a lot of complaints about casting and who should be cast and what and I think that it all it also like a lot I don't think I have any complaints about about that because I, yeah I can't speak to that experience yes I guess. yeah yeah we're like we're not we're not physically there so we all, all I can do is just believe the people that are currently living there saying hey it's actually more black than brown what's up with this right but was it that way when Lynn Manuel was a kid there? Maybe it wasn't, I don't know, right? So it's just kinda, that's kinda tough. But the other thing that they were complaining about, which I thought was so strange, was they were saying, they were basically accusing uh, the, the movie of only casting light-skinned Hispanics. And so, Becca, I know before this art, before these accusations well, came out, guess, you had had some feelings while we were watching yeah, it. So tell so, us. So, spoiler alert: I'm the oldest of four girls. Me and my youngest sister Sarah look Hispanic. Okay, dark hair, dark features, that type of thing. My middle sisters, Becca and Lizzie, are blonde and fair-skinned, and their whole lives have dealt with people not believing that they are half Mexican. And so tell us about your experience, just to set the stage as we're watching the show. Before these complaints come yeah. out, tell us about your thoughts. Well, I guess, so I, I definitely don't think that anyone who was cast in a lead role in this musical is white passing. I definitely think they all, as, as much as it really doesn't matter, look authentically Latina or Latino. Um, and I also think, so while I was watching this, I, I didn't really give any thought to like the Afro-Latino like perspective but I did see I kind of was like hey a lot of these people I guess look like our cousins look like us and so that's where I like felt represented and so all all of these articles are coming about out about how they cast light-skinned um Latinos and so I guess I was a little disappointed because I um I felt like that wasn't maybe like a fair maybe I don't know I felt like maybe it was a little bit too harsh in the criticism right because um, because that it like Olivia has talked about we've talked about before it kind of discounts the way that we feel about how we look and our identity which we've kind of been wrestling with the past past couple of years and like it's it goes back to the fight of saying like some people aren't Latina enough or exactly. are too white to be considered this or something and yeah. so I guess it kind of just didn't make sense to us why in the and this, uh, what we felt represented in was being attacked for, yeah, for all of this, um, and had this drama surrounding it. Yeah. So here was my sister feeling represented for the first time by the fact that there were Latinas on screen that were more light skinned, you know, leaning more towards her skin tone, and then just imagine the heartbreak a couple of days later to see all of these articles saying that. Those light-skinned people that Becca felt represented her on screen were not the right Latins to tell this story. Well, and I feel like it goes back to the casting. Like, at a certain point, you have to... I know a lot of people say this. Like, you have to cast the people that are right for the roles. 
And like I would hate for someone not to get cast because they were deemed too light skinned or exactly. too dark skinned or I don't I feel like it goes both ways. Like you can't cast people just because they're light skinned and you can't cast people just because they're dark skinned. Exactly. And I think too, I think I, to these people that are specifically going after Lin-Manuel as if he had the final say on casting. Did you not watch Hamilton? Because Hamilton was the most diverse cast that he did have control over that yeah. I've ever seen. I mean, look at the three sisters. The three yeah. sisters are a black woman, a brown woman, and a white woman. Yeah. And they they pull it off on screen because of the storytelling and the talent. So I think it's crazy to accuse him of that. Um, but, I, but yeah, and I also just think, going back to what I said earlier about how like, if you're from Mexico, it's not the same as being from the Dominican, as from being from Puerto Rico, from being from Cuba. Like, these are all different things. And, you know, sometimes I get mad and I think, oh, we don't have enough brown representation. But then I actually, like, go and look at the top build people in current movies and, and, and even artists and stuff. And I actually do see a lot of Latin, Latino representation. But... What we're at now is we're at the point where we have to get, we have to have, we have to tell the stories like what Lynn Manuel did, where we're making the point that we are not all the same. You know, like not all, not every Mexican that you meet is gonna be dark skinned. Not every, you know, just, I don't know. I think, I think that people that are making that complaint are missing the entire point yeah. of the show because it was about a multicultural representation and how the thing that combines us all that brings us together is the fact that we're immigrants to this new country but that's kind of where it stops like mm -hmm. these cultures are very different and it's just time that america wake up and realize that that we're we're different you know we're we're not all i always say not all brown is created equal <laughs> i mean my mom has stories about how she has cousins that live in mexico who have red hair and freckles mm -hmm. and stuff so yeah i guess it just yeah so it just goes to show that like a lot of people i and this is a specific story that i remember in eighth grade there was this kid who his last name was like hernandez one of those like typical hispanic last names where like my last name is brennan i'm very white passing and i was trying to talk to him and i was like oh i'm half mexican and he was too so i was like oh i'm half mexican too and then no he was like didn't believe me or like yeah. didn't he kind of like invalidated that part and because I didn't look Mexican and he looked very Mexican. Yeah. And so it goes to, yeah, just like those little experiences and then just like hearing all of this, it's kind of like, oh, wait a second. Like there are people who have these experiences and I guess it's kind of wrestling with those two identities and. Yeah, definitely. And I think, and, and our other sister who's more fair skinned has similar stories where people like don't believe her heritage. So yeah, I think it's just, I think it was really well done, but I also think that um, I think it shows that we have a little bit more work to do, um, kind of educating the people around us that we can, we, yes, we might all say that we're Latina, but there's still some differences in there that should be acknowledged. And no, I just remembered I was going to say, so like Becca was saying, we have cousins in Mexico who are like red hair and freckles. And I think we have to be really careful with this whole representation thing. I'm all for everyone being represented. I think that's fair. I think that's important. But at what point is it too specific? Like at what point is could my cousins that are like red hair and freckles be like, we weren't in the movie, you know? Like I think we just have to like, well, we can't expect perfection when we're trying, we're still working so hard mm -hmm. to make sure people understand the stories. Well, and I think one maybe last point could be that like if they're looking for that representation, like Lin-Manuel a big part of his story is that he wrote these stories because he didn't feel represented. Yeah. And so, and now we're finally seeing them come to fruition in pop culture. And so I think that that could spark someone else who maybe doesn't feel represented in a different way right. to write their own stories. So I feel like it could be maybe, yes, we need this representation, but don't attack the people who are currently um, making the stories. Right. Because it's not up to him to make everyone feel represented. 
It's, it's just yeah. a hard... It's it a is. Hard. It's a hard balance. Like, for instance, okay, so we just saw this morning that Disney is making another um, animated movie, and it's called Encanto, and it's from a Colombian family. It's about a Colombian family. And so I was excited. I thought that was really cool. But one thing I noticed is, of course, I checked the comments, and there was a bunch of comments of people saying, like, why is Lin-Manuel doing the music for this when he's not Colombian? And so that's hard. Like I, I understand where I they're mean, coming he did from. The music for Moana. I know, I know. That's that's what people were saying is that that they trust him with this type of thing. And I don't know. So here I am. This is how complicated it is because in the same conversation, I'm saying not all brown people are the same. We do have things that make us different from our counterparts. But then here, here I'm gonna say I think it's okay for Lin Manuel to write this Colombian music because at least it's still Latina. So it's just hard. It's it's just a hard, uh, uh, you know, line. But listen, that is, if, if, if you can understand that, then you are halfway to understanding how hard it is to be between two cultures. Because that's that fine line is something that we walk all the time. Are we American enough? Are we Mexican enough? And it is, it's, it's complicated. Um, but at the very least, at least someone is out there working to tell our stories. Um, so yeah, I think that's, yeah, I think that's a good combo. Any other thoughts on In the Heights? I think that's all. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to start wrapping it up here. Um, okay. So my sister, Becca is a pretty avid reader. So um, and she's really into Marvel. We kind of all are in my house. So I just kind of wanted to end with like, what are you currently, like, what are you reading? What are you watching? What's something you're excited for? Yeah. So I know that you haven't seen the new Loki yeah. yet, but I just watched the newest episode of Loki that came out yesterday. Um, very good. Yes. I won't spoil it. Um, we, we are a couple of weeks behind because my oldest was out of town. And so we're waiting, we are waiting to watch it with him. Okay. So Loki. Um, and Scarlet, which comes out tomorrow. Yes. Wait, Black Widow, right? Oh, yes. Yes, Black, Black Widow. Widow. Sorry. Yeah. Thinking about I heard that the pre-sales are already, like, breaking records for that, so. I mean, it's, like, the first Marvel movie that's come out yes. in, like, last year we didn't have any Marvel movies come out, so I feel like, and not, and not that I don't think this movie should be successful, but I also think it's being fueled by right. the fact that we've kind of been deprived yeah. of movies We lately. are looking forward. We have a busy weekend, but I'm hoping, like, Sunday, Monday-ish we might be able. I think we're just going to do, like, the Disney release thing which is such a nice deal really I mean if you've got a big family I mean we've done the math and we save money doing mm-hmm. that early release okay so Loki Black Widow um and we Olivia's like halfway through this book and I just finished it we're reading The Nightingale yeah by Kristen Hanna I believe I think so yeah um for a book club yeah and um it's a World War II historical fiction um which is really sad Apparently everyone knew this was going to be sad going in but me. Um, I'm a little behind. I'm about a little more than halfway. Um, it will be a sprint for me to actually finish it in time. This is why I don't do book clubs, y'all. I read so slow. Um, but I'm, I'm trying to get there. Um, so, yeah, it's really good. And it's being made into a movie. Oh, yes, it so is. So we might have to have it when I, we have to talk again. I was going to say I've read multiple historical fictions about World War II that are in the process of being made into movies, so I didn't remember which yeah. one. But also, um, because I finished that last week, I finished, I started another book, and it is by Andy Weir. I don't know how you say his last name. Okay. He wrote The Martian. Okay. Which was made into a movie with yeah. Matt Damon. He, so since I've read The Martian, he has become one of my, like, automatic, I will read whatever he writes, because The Martian was his very first book ever. Wow. And so he wrote... That's another, some good su- author success there. He wrote another book that's called Artemis. All of his books are about space in okay. some way. So he wrote another book that's called Artemis about a colony on Mars, I believe, or on the moon. Don't quote me. I don't remember. Yeah. And then um, his latest book that came out this year in May is called Project Hail Mary. I'm maybe 10 chapters in, but I can already tell that it's going to be really good. Good. Really good. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, I am just trying to get through... Um, Nightingale for sure. I actually had two other books that I was reading an economics book and a Bible study book but um, my friend already finished the economics book without me and then the Bible study I missed the last get together of it so I'm just gonna like take my time on those finish Nightingale and then as far as what I'm watching I actually went back and like started old like American Horror Story 
seasons, like just the ones that I like. So I'm watching the freak show one right now, which is like the carnival. Um, I, and the other one that I watched was Asylum. And I'm starting to think maybe I just like um, the main gal. Oh my gosh, I'm blanking on her name. But she's in both of them. She has a really big role. Oh, Jessica Lang. So I'm like, oh, the first two that I picked, Jessica Lang had a really big role. So um, we'll have to see. I might... I like the ones that other people don't like. So maybe it's just a Jessica Lang thing. But um, that's just kind of the thing I have on, like, in the background type of thing. But, um, but yeah. Okay. Well, this was really fun. Um, we are going to a church camp this weekend, a family camp. Um, my oldest is already there. Me and my husband and my youngest go this weekend for just, like, a overnight. What are you up to this weekend? Um, I am working, and I think I'm going to go... Uh, back to Plato's Closet. Yes. Oh my gosh. We, I did a whole episode on um, buying secondhand and we have a Plato's Closet here in Wichita that I hear some people say that it's hit or miss. Like you either go there and have all the things or find nothing. But I feel like every time I've gone there, I've been able to find a couple of things. So yeah, it's I it's accidentally addicting. Bought, I accidentally bought a pair of shorts that are way too big, <laughs> so I have to go return them. Yeah. But um, which I was gonna tell you, be careful on returns because they don't always take returns. They, they told me they would take it. I think you seven just days. okay, and I think you might only get store credit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know like shoes, they do not take returns yeah, on at all. They, yeah, they told um, me about the only store credit, which I was gonna buy shorts anyway, so I'll just go get a pair that yeah. actually fits. It's the perfect place to go if you like have an occasion that you want to buy something for. You don't want to rewear something, but maybe you don't have budget to buy a whole brand new thing. So yeah, Plato's Closet is really cool. Um, we might have to check out. I know we have other like local mm-hmm. type um, uh, secondhand stores. We might have to try out some of the smaller ones. So okay, well that is all I have for you guys today. I have a couple of fun um, guests coming up that I'm just waiting to hear back from. I have some friends coming to talk about the Friends reunion. I have a gal who has a um, like tutoring test prepping company that's going to come on and talk to us about that. So for my homeschool families, her specialty is like getting kids into college and testing into college. So that would be really cool to hear from her. Um, And then I need to go make the rounds. So if you're interested in coming on and talking with me, just shoot me a message. Um, Other than that, just be sure to check out um, my premium downloads and my digital marketing course, both available on my website, themamamarketer.com. Be sure to follow me at The Mama Marketer on Facebook and Instagram. And I think that's about it. Becca was in my most recent reel, which had like over a thousand views last I saw. So if you want to go follow Becca, she's totally tagged in that one too. Um, Other than that, we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.